Man, it's so good to be back with you guys. Uh, Welcome to Connect Church. Uh, We are again thrilled to have you here with us this morning in the house. And uh, what a presence to get out of this world, turn off the news, and to be around God's people, to be encouraged and in his house, to feel his spirit and his presence with us today. I believe he's got a great word for you guys as well. My name is Terry Pierce. I had the wonderful privilege over the last 20 years of being the lead pastor here at Connect Church. And don't worry if you're tuning in or you're watching in the audience and you haven't heard anything, uh, that's fine. I'm not uh, having an affinity this morning to become an Episcopal priest. But, uh, like 10 of you got that, um, only five in the first service. Uh, anyway, they wear a collar. Get it? Okay. Thank you, James. Anyway, uh, just for those of you that know, uh, 10 days ago, seems a pretty long time ago, but 10 days ago, I had a uh, spinal fusion um, and uh, where they went in and uh, replaced um, some of the disc in my neck with and put plates in there and then fused them to my spine. And so pretty evasive surgery. And um, according to three important factors in my life, uh, leaders in my life, the only way that I was allowed to be on this stage today is uh, from my surgeon, uh, from the deacon board and from Berlin uh, was that I wear my Episcopal priest collar. So uh, we're going to try to use that today and maybe uh, help me uh, stay a little bit more calmer uh, than I normally do, no guarantees. So um, Wednesday, uh, I'll meet with the surgeon and hopefully uh, they'll tell me that this thing has worked and I didn't do anything to hurt it today and I'll get uh, be able to drive again and be able to start to slowly get my life back. But enough about me, all right? Enough of that. So the rest of the message is going to be about you. And so we're going to talk to you guys and we believe, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am so pumped and excited. Over the next four weeks, I'm going to share with you guys a message about what God wants you to know in your heart and your life on what it is to live in this earth with heaven's principles and power in our life. We're simply titling this on earth as it is in heaven. And God really does, and what better time could we ever have put together this sermon series with all of the chaos and crap that's going on in our world around us and in your personal life and my personal life, do we ever need a message from Almighty God newly that in this season, in the middle of August, that Connect Church family would need to hear a message on what it's like to have a little bit of heaven on earth. Are you guys ready for something else than what this pl- country and this plan is going through? Are you ready with me this morning? Are you guys ready for something different? Amen. And God loves you guys enough to do this. Chuck Williams, uh, his favorite preacher, he's usually in our sound booth, uh, is J.D. Greer. I don't know why it's not me, but it's not. Anyway, and, but it's, and it's a good call, so I, would, I agree with him. But uh, J.D. Greer wrote a sermon series on this a couple of years ago, and so I've borrowed it from the idea and the topic from him. We've made it our own because we're different than they are in Raleigh and so we have made this our own and we're going to share with you guys what it's like and here's how we do this new beginnings are good new beginnings are good and here's why because in your life or mine or those of you that are watching online from time to time we get off track we all get off track for some of you it is a little minor bump in the road you know, uh, bless her heart, Belen's show for me this week, and she somehow 
manages to find some of those potholes that are there. Uh, the, uh, she's done a good job. I appreciate her. And uh, some of you, though, you don't just hit a few potholes. Your whole vehicle has went in the ditch. You're like Jonathan when he was a teenager, went through the fence, into the pasture, and you're just in the middle of a cow, a cow patty. All right, let's just call it like it is, all right? So that's where your life's at, and uh, that's what we're calling it. And you are so far off track, you can't find your way out. I promise you the cow patty note was not in my sermon. Uh, but the truth of the matter is this morning is that we find ourselves a little bit off track, and some of you find yourselves really completely out of whack. Now here's what God wants you to know. Look at me this morning. God has invited you into his house, into his presence, and isn't it good to be in his presence this morning? Worship was incredible because God wants to speak to you, and he has a word. For those of you that are just struggling a little bit with the potholes and those of you that have done went in the ditch, look at me this morning. He's inviting all of you back on the road again with him. He is inviting you to a new beginning, a fresh start, a way to be refreshed, a way to be encouraged, and a way to be helped through this season that you've been going through in your heart and in your life. And so as God invites us to come back home, I want to remind you of how we got here as a church and in my personal life, and I think it's going to help you get your life refreshed and back on track in this sermon series on earth as it is in heaven. So this is the story. In September of last year, in 2020, we're coming through COVID and we're starting to edge out a little bit where folks are cautiously coming back to church. We didn't know round two was coming this year. But we were cautiously starting to get folks back in church. The most devastating season, pastors committing suicide, ministers leaving the church, countless churches across this country right now this morning without pastors, without shepherds, without congregants, because literally COVID has dominated the church front as it has every other area of our lives. And I began to just cry out to God, and I said, God, if our country has ever needed revival, it is now. And God said, revival doesn't happen on big platforms. It happens personally. And God said, you want revival for this country? You want revival for your church and your community? Then it's got to start with Terry Pierce. And what would happen next, Johnny, I did not see coming. You better be careful to get what you pray for. God began to overhaul Terry Pierce. I honestly thought, Neil, I was a pretty good guy. I thought I was at least a fairly decent pastor. I mean, some folks came out to hear me preach and, you know, and whatever. And I thought that I was actually doing at least halfway decent job after all these years. And God began to just work in my heart and my life. And he showed me so much ugly in me. And I wound up weeping for weeks. I was fasting and praying over 40 days. And I'm not kidding you, Stanley. God wore my backside out. I mean, there was so much that he began to real, uh, reveal to me and pride in my life and stuff in my life that just needed to get cleaned out. I didn't even know it was coming. And so God began to overhaul me. And I came up with this at one point. 
in those 40 days, and it would lead on and throughout the rest of this year. But at one point, um, I was singing this song. Do you remember back in the day, and I'm going to sing this extremely terrible because I have no ounce of music in me whatsoever, skill set, but we're going to have you come back and sing it in just a second. But you remember us old school people that when we grew up in church and Sunday school and VBS, we used to sing this song. And this became my theme song during my prayer for revival. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Y'all know? <laughs> Go ahead and sing with It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars and Jupiter and Mars. He's still working on me. All right, half of you laughed and half of you clapped. So we're going to turn it back on your face. All right, and so that's what we do at our church. You got to be tough to come to our church. All right, so here's the deal. Uh, I want you guys to sing it with me together. All right, he's still working on me. And honestly, for those of you that are off track, wherever you're at today, this is where a good place. It's okay to admit this. Already on the count of three, let's sing this old school song together. One, two, three. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, Jupiter and Mars. He's still working on me. That was horrible. All right, anyway, so we have definitely got to work on that in the days to come. This is why we hired Tanner. All right, so anyway, uh, but you get the gist of what uh, became a theme in my life. And God doesn't care how the quality sounds as long as that we're getting this point down. But here's what God, God would do next. After that season of prayer and fasting and meeting with the staff and praying revival into my life, Belen's life, God would begin to hear that prayer and he would move it into this body. We would begin to get sparks of revival come November around Thanksgiving. After all of the COVID and all of that stuff, we would watch God begin to bring people back into the house. And this is why it's so important. Because people die. People die of COVID and they die of everything else. And if they don't know Jesus, they go to hell. There's still a reason to do church. There's still a reason for us to worship because the world needs Jesus. And in November, God began to move and people started getting saved again. People started getting baptized again. And you're not going to believe this. But from November to the present, we have now had 10 consecutive months of somebody being saved, baptized, or joining the church. Somebody say amen and give God a round of applause. That is only to his glory. He has been giving us a taste of what revival really looks like, and it would carry on even bigger and, and further than that. We would get to April, and as we got into April and we celebrated Easter after having to skip Easter the year before, and folks were ready to enjoy the resurrection again and uh, to get through that COVID season, and so we came back into the house, and not only on Easter, but for the first time, our church is 90 years old Baptist church, for the first time in our 90-year great history, we averaged over, averaged over 400. We broke the 400 barrier in the month of April on average attendance, and I'm just telling you again, give God a round of applause. 90 years waiting for that moment, and God broke through that in miraculous ways because of revival. And God continued 
to not only do those things, <laughs> somebody came to me this week and said, there's a rumor floating around the town that Connect Church is not going to be able to afford to make their building payments is going under. <laughs> Seriously, that was told to me this way. You can't make this stuff up, do you, Mark? And, uh, and I just laughed. And I said, I love critics. I love negative people. Because all it does is fire me up to tell God's story. Here's the truth. In 2021, from January 1st to this present, We've taken in the largest offerings in our church's history, and we're getting ready to introduce you a plan this fall to pay this building off in seven years instead of 15. God is moving in your midst. Your obedience and your faithfulness, and I'm just telling you, he deserves all the glory. And by the way, you know when revival really happens, and honestly, I'm going to say this you know, humorously, but the truth of the matter is it's biblical as well because this is what Jesus talked about. When you know revival is happening, not only are people being saved and baptized, not only is the church beginning to grow and get healthy, but I'm telling you, when people are tithing and giving, you know their hearts are right because it's going to come out of the pocketbook if their hearts are right. And I'm just telling you, it is all evidence and declaration of God's glory of moving to change your all's hearts and your lives. But that's not even the best part of the story yet. God is making disciples who are making disciples. This afternoon... We will meet between 20 to 30 discipleship leaders in our church, maybe a few more. And Blynn and I are going to coach them. And here's what's exciting about that. God is helping people learn how to obediently follow Christ at Connect Church. And let me give you a little taste of what it looks like to be a discipleship maker. We have teens in Andrew's youth group that are discipling other teens. Do you hear what I just said? We don't have, we're not, isn't it so cool that you get to talk about in church? And yes, we have teens struggling with alcohol and drugs and sex and everything else, but we have a group of teens at Connect Church that is also discipling other disciples. And one of those teens discipled one of our teen boys this summer and at camp realized that he had never been saved after being discipled, gave his life to Christ, got baptized in an old, I'm talking about old school, just the way the Holy Spirit used to move. Somebody got saved and baptized back in the day, child. We carried him down to the creek, and we dunked him. And that happened in our youth group this summer. Give God a round of applause. That's awesome. That's happening. Revival at Connect Church. But it's not just happening there. Tanner has got a group of musicians and band. God led him this year for starting in September. He's going to be discipling some of his band members and, and musicians and singers. <laughs> Kevin, can you imagine that if music artistic people really get on fire for Jesus? <laughs> Man, I'm just telling you, uh, that's going to be awesome. Uh, you have no idea what goes on and what they drink back. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. They, they really don't do that. That's what Southern Gospel folks do. Anyway, uh, so the truth of the matter is, is that we are seeing revival happen, not only in our youth department, not only in our, in our guys on stage that do an incredible, and the ladies that do an incredible job, but let me give you a little bit more taste of discipleship and what it can do is um, this past year, we don't just talk this, we do this. You're going to hear that a lot today. I discipled four guys that God led me to last year. I just spent a year 
But Danny Caldwell, Mark Garrett, uh, Mike Proust, and then Andrew, the new staff guy, so he can go do this with these guys. And you realize that if they do what they're supposed to do, come next month, along with me, is we're going to take two or three guys out of our group, out of four. And next year, by the time we get to 2022, at this point, we'll have 16, just out of my group, just out of my group, we'll have 16 men that will have been discipled by September of 2022. Now, you're tracking with me? And those 16 go get two or three guys, and they disciple them. By the time we get to September of 2023, we now got 48 men in this church and community that have been discipled. But now here's where it gets crazy of what God can do. By the time we get to September of 2024, those 48 guys get two or three guys. We're at 150 men in our church three years from now that have been discipled. Praise God Almighty and give him the glory. That is what God is doing with revival and discipleship at Connect Church. And that's just in one group. Multiply that by the 20 that we're going to train and share with today. So folks, I say this in all humility. God has been answering that prayer from last September. A prayer for a personal revival for your pastor to spread to the church. So how does that affect you? Because here's what we want you to know this morning. Jesus has brought you here today. Look at me this morning. You know how we used to do it. And I get it. And I'm going to offend some of you, and I don't mean to. But maybe I do. We used to set up and we talked about the good old days and the glory days of our church. And now grateful that I am for the glory days. This church has great history. It has incredible glory day moments that God has done in the past. But folks, the folks that have their butts in the audience this morning, it's not going to do you a dime's worth of good to tell you about what we did in 1970 in the bus ministry. What you need to know is that God Almighty can help you through this COVID and through this crap and the stuff that you're going through right now because that's where you're at this morning. So I'm not just telling you about a church that has a 90-year great history. What we're doing is we're not worshiping our past. What we're doing is we're standing on our past with God in the present, and we're saying God is here today. God is still moving. These are the glory days that God wants to bring into our church to build off of what he's done in the past. And what you need today is a God who is still at work, still making disciples, still growing his church. You need a God that wants to move in your heart and your life here this morning. Are, are you with me? We need to see God's glory. And how do we do that? How do we see God bring in our earth as it is in heaven Luke chapter 10, turn in your Bibles today, and we're going to see that the way God does it is he teaches us how to daily live in the kingdom. The way that we experience on earth as it is in heaven is that we daily begin to live in his kingdom every day. On this earth, a little taste of heaven. And we're going to share with you this morning how that is obtainable. This is the new beginnings for you and I. Have you guys ever, and I know what some of you are thinking here this morning, Pastor Terry, we've had new beginnings before. We've tried, and I've got off track, and then I keep getting off track. Look at me this morning. You're going to continue to do that. This is part of why you come and get your backsides to church, because we're going to always have an enemy trying to destroy you. 
Are you getting this? You're always going to have an enemy that's trying to discourage you and get you off track. This is how we beat the devil. We come to church and we're reminded that God has the ability to get us back on track. His grace, his mercies are never ending. He gets us back on track. He invites us to get back on track again and again and again. And aren't you thankful for that this morning? That's what we're reminding you of today. That's why you worship him. That's why you give to him, because he never gives up on you. Amen? He never gives up on you, and we run to him. We run to him because he's inviting us to understand daily living in this kingdom that God has for us. And so when you struggle with all of that, and you're thinking the devil will beat you down and he'll tell you you're never going to... You guys relate your Christianity to your personal life and you need to stop it. You say, well, I, be, I begin every year with a New Year's resolution. I'm going to lose weight and by the time we get to June and bikini season, <laughs> and I hope most of us are not thinking that, but anyway, uh, and by the time we get to June and bikini season, because there's some of us do not need to be thinking that. Uh, amen, Neil. And so by the time we get to June and, and, uh, and bikini season... I'm going to lose that weight. And you know what happens in June, don't you? You go to slip on that swimsuit, and you get it over one leg, and you pull it up. And you know what your swimsuit looks like on your body? It looks like the little rubber band that's on a big old fat balloon. <laughs> and, you know, it's just tied down there at the bottom, and that's all you can see, and nobody else. Anyway, so that is so wrong. Uh, I promise you, some of you just went, you know, so your, your lunch is out. I get that. I was going to show you a picture of me, but anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so the truth of the matter is, is that we get to that point. You're, you're like the guy that prayed this prayer because uh, you keep failing at this stuff. And, and here's his prayer. Read this. This is, uh, I like this. Dear God. My prayer for 2021 is a fat bank account and a thin body. Please don't mix it up again like you did last year, amen? <laughs> and so how many of us can testify that God got that prayer wrong? Uh, so anyway, uh, we get that down, and so we feel like that when we try to do the right thing, you know, it doesn't happen in our life. Guys, I got great news for you. God is much more faithful than your diet plan. God is much more faithful than any New Year's resolution. Are you ready to get back on track? Are you ready to get back on track? A lawyer comes to Jesus in Luke chapter 10. And a lawyer asks him the greatest question that you've ever asked, Steve. It's the all-time question. If you're watching online this morning, the greatest question you will ever ask. The lawyer asks Jesus in Luke 10 face-to-face the Son of God, how do I receive eternal life? The question that everyone should ask. Would you like to know not how I would answer that, not how your mom and dad would answer that, but would you like to know what Jesus said? Would you stand with me this morning as we read the Holy Word of God? Luke chapter 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law, and how do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbors yourself. And Jesus said unto him, You've answered correctly. Do this. Do this, 
and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself, the lawyer said to Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? Jesus replied, and he tells a story. A man was going down to Jerusalem from Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and he stripped him, and he beat him, and he departed, leaving him half dead. And now by chances, the priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place that he saw him, pass by on the other side, um, and a Samaritan, he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to join him, and he bound up his wounds, and he pouring on oil and wine, and then he sent him on his own animal and brought him to an inn to take care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, for whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer answered, he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said unto him, You go and do likewise. You may be seated. Dr. Daryl Bach, noted New Testament scholar just on the Gospel of Luke is his specialty. And as I was re researching and for the message series, and, and uh, he makes a, great makes a great description of this text. He says there's three important themes. Now, Grace and the rest of you note-takers that are going to love today, this sermon is going to absolutely suck for you guys because you're going to, this is it. So if you want note-taking, this is the only real three principles that I'm going to share with you today, and they're not even going to know what I'm talking about today. But here's what Dr. Bach summarizes this paragraph, uh, and it, this is what three fundamental levels of discipleship that this text is about. Number one, it is about the discipleship of living life with your neighbors. Number two, it is about living life with Jesus. And number three, it is about living life through prayer. Now, he, Brian's going to leave this up there for just a minute. Now, here's what you need to know while you're writing this down. Over the next three weeks... I'm going to unpack for you, week in and week out, more details about the story of the Good Samaritan. And each week, we're going to unpack for you what these discipleship principles look like in your life and in mine. And we're going to use other texts, and we're going to show you through that. But these are the three things that this text is teaching us today. That Jesus was answering the question, what must I do to receive eternal life? Live life with your neighbors. Living life with me. Jesus and living life through prayer. So in other words now, on earth as it is in heaven, what Jesus was saying to us, I want to bring that about in your life and mine. And now I know what you're thinking. If you're like me and you read this text and you hear this story and you're thinking about this message today, I like to ask questions. And I'm thinking, man, Jesus, this would be so much easier to do to bring life from heaven on earth if we could just go on to heaven with you and get all out of this earth are you with me this morning anybody in here talk? i'm praying man i'm to the point and i know some of you guys are going to wig out here but i am to the point of praying jesus come quickly every day of my life i'm praying i, I know and, and i'm not fatalistic or whatever but i've had enough of this oh earth i am tired of battling sin. i'm tired of battling disease i'm tired of going to funerals i'm tired and I'm ready to go to heaven. I'm tired of battling the devil. And as I pray this prayer, and I've been praying this prayer for a while, Drew, you know what God said? I ain't coming yet. And there's only one answer to the question, why in the world doesn't Jesus come get us? Are you with me? That's a valid question to ask. Why in the world doesn't Jesus come get us? And do you know the only answer? It's found in the Word. It's found in this text. 
is Jesus said, I'm leaving you here, Terry, and I'm leaving you here to go get somebody else and get them ready so that when I do come back, they don't go to hell. So that's what our church is about, guys. This is the only reason God has left us here. Not for fellowship dinners, not for potluck suppers, not to have uh, a comfortable music that we like. He left us here to go get some people and get them saved before he comes back. That's it. And so as we think about what it means on earth as it is in heaven, the principle that Jesus is saying to you and I today Keep on living this daily life. Keep on living this life to go get people. I'm going to introduce to our staff in September, I hope they approve it, a new slogan for our church. And, uh, and it's simply, we gather to go. To me, that, that catches the idea of what Jesus was teaching in Luke chapter 10, that what we're to be about. We gather to be encouraged. We gather to be fed. We gather to say we can do this and Jesus is with us and then we go and tell the story of what God is doing in our hearts and lives in our church and that's what we're about we gather to go and so as we think about back to our text today and you and your situation I find that many of us struggle like the lawyer did to really get this thing down how do I get to heaven do not too many of us do it our way Dr. Danny Aiken and his commentary makes a very powerful statement about this story of what Jesus was trying to get across to the lawyer. The burden of this story is to help us understand that the greatest thing in the world is to know and enjoy Jesus. Do you want to know what daily life in the kingdom looks like? Week one, on earth as it is in heaven, Pastor Terry what does that look like? That means that you and I do what we just sang. Honestly, if you're not doing this, you're a hypocrite as you sang. What did we just sing in our worship time? We gather to enjoy Jesus so that we can make disciples who make disciples. We live our lives every day to enjoy Jesus, and he changes how we see our lives. Please look at me for just a second. How many of you have been religious all your life? And you've heard this kind of stuff, but it's not resonating in what you do. I want to ask you over the next four weeks, who do you find yourself in this story? Are you the priest? Are you the Levite? Are you the broken down dude, Samaritan on the side of the road? Or maybe the only thing that we're going to tell about this story today is the lawyer. Have you ever considered yourself like a lawyer? But let's look at him. So the lawyer comes to Jesus, and here's his story. He comes to Jesus out of arrogance, and we're going to see this in the text. And by the way, you're going to see a very sarcastic Jesus, and I love this because I'm very sarcastic. And the sarcasm that Jesus looks at this lawyer, and this lawyer walks up to Jesus, and he says to him, and you just need to get it in your mind, that this lawyer is wearing a leather pouch. And we know that from the history of the Bible and these circumstances that the Jews and a prominent person like this Jewish lawyer would wear, and this is why Jesus is going to ask him the question that he asked him. You would wear what's called uh, a leather pouch. It's called the Shema in Hebrew. The Shema 
comes from the Deuteronomy 30 where it says that you love your Lord your God. What's the greatest two commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and then your neighbors yourself. But that's the Shema. But what you would do is they would take from Deuteronomy 6 where it said that you're to take the word of God and you're to put it on your forehead, the frontlets, you know, and on your lips and you're to remember it. So the lawyer, now get this, the, what they would do is the Jewish leaders would take a leather pouch, Jonathan, and they would either strap it to their wrist with a copy of the Shema, the two commandments, or they would literally strap it, most of them did, as a bandana. This is the original Mississippi redneck. They would strap it to their forehead so you'd have a leather pouch so that throughout the day you would take out your shema and you would read it and because you wore the leather pouch on your wrist or your forehead I'm more spiritual than what you are because I have the word of God on my head Deuteronomy 6 what stupid morons how in the world does wearing the Bible on your head help you really have a love for Jesus. Are you with me? Now, let's not be too legalistic and too judgmental about the lawyer because I want to suggest to you and I that some of us do the exact same stupid stuff. And this is going to probably be offensive. And I hope, honestly, that it is because I've got to confess my stupidity in this. We, in the religious church, have done a lot of the same kind of things as a lawyer. Think back, at my first church, are you guys listening to me this morning? In my first church, I'm confessing to you how stupid I was at being like this lawyer. Some of you old school folks are going to remember what I'm talking about. In my first church, Mark, I would tell my Sunday school teachers, trying to do the right thing, I meant well, but this was so dumb and so legalistic and so much like the lawyer. I would tell the Sunday school teachers, I want you to put a chart on your Sunday school wall, and then you're going to, because we were poor Baptist churches, we couldn't get a nice one, so we're going to take marker, and we're going to draw lines that are crooked, and you're going to put little blocks of squares on that poster board in your Sunday school room, and then when you have your kids come to class, or the adults come to class at our church, then we're going to give you a star. At one church, I was so ridiculous, we gave them points. You get one point for bringing your Bible. Go ahead and raise your hand. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You get one point for bringing your Bible. You get two points if you, um, uh, what was it, you, uh, you read your lesson. You get three points if you uh, brought somebody, no, you get four points if you brought somebody with you. That was the big one. Oh, you, brought, you get three points if you brought an offering because that was big because we didn't have any money. And so you think about what we were doing. We were telling our children and our adults that if you come to our church and you bring and I'm listen you bring your big King James Version Bible and you bring your offering then I'm more spiritual than you are doesn't matter whether our teens who got the little stars and the points were having sex we're doing drugs and alcohol oh yeah we're getting there but they got their little checkbox and they got their little stars. We did the little church thing. And I'm telling you, you realize how stupid our legalism was? Because it's not about the outside. It's about what's on the heart. And Jesus knew this guy was full of himself. He checked the boxes just like a lot of us have. I heard a Baptist preacher, free will. 
And he was preaching a while back. And he made this statement in the sermon. He said, I'll tell you what, when you come to our church, I don't want none of them sissy, you know, bringing the Bible on your phone. He said, our people bring their Bible to church. Like somehow, it was a, I wanted a throat punching. In Jesus' name. Somehow, we've equated that if I carry a big enough Bible, that I'm more spiritual than you are. And yet, I don't have a John-bound clue what is inside that thing. I don't live it, and that guy preaching didn't have the right attitude when he said that. Because who cares how you get the Word of God in you? You get the Word of God in you. And it changes your attitude, and it changes how you treat others, and it changes that you're not proud and arrogant that you would brag about something that stupid. Boy, it's gotten quiet in here. The truth of the matter is, Jesus cares about your heart, not what's on your forehead. You can wear the shema all day long, and it's not about that. Here's what Jesus said. He said, and, you, and let's go down to verse 28. And he said unto him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Notice the difference of what Jesus said versus what we've done and what the lawyer did. He knew the word of God. He didn't do the word of God. Look at it. Are you doing the word of God? Are you living this out in your marriage? Are you doing your prayer time? Are you reading the word at home with your kids? Oh, we take our kids to Andrew's youth group. Oh, I come to church. Or, oh, I watch online because whatever. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I want to hear a good sermon. I want to hear Tanner and the band do good. What difference does it make if you're not living out with the principles and the heart that Jesus has done to change our lives? You do this and you will receive eternal life. You do this and you will receive eternal life. So, how do you command people to love God? You can't. Bob, how do I command you to love God? I can't command you to love God. You love those things that you fall in love with. You're going to do those. I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. You're going to do those things that you love. If you watch TV instead of read your Bible, if you watch television this morning instead of coming to church, if you do whatever you're going to do, you do the things you love. Are you tracking with You do the things you love. I love to kiss my wife. So I kissed her this weekend. I love to eat steak. My wife went off with her friends to some women's Bible study thing in Memphis last night, left me by himself, a crippled man. <laughs> I couldn't even get that out. And, uh, and uh, so guess what I did, Stanley? I ate steak because I love steak. I eat what I want. She's not there. And, uh, and so I, I love donuts. I've been to 27 different Krispy Kreme donuts across the United States. I know most all the managers by name. I eat donuts because I love donuts. I love playing with my grandkids. Friday night, when Andrew and Ashlyn were off with the teens in the football game, I watched, or Belinda and I watched our grandkids and played with our grandkids. This, just this weekend, I'd done all four of the things that I love to do, and it wasn't a problem. I did them because I love to do them. We do the things that we fall in love with. 
And the reason some of you are not doing church and you're not doing your faith and you're not experiencing God's blessings in your life because you're not in love with Jesus has nothing to do with me. It's in your heart, not in your head. It's in your heart. What do you love? I do not love, I hate liver and onions. Now you can command me to love liver and onions. I could care less what you tell me to do. I ain't eating liver and onions. Mark Roberts, one of our church members, I preached about this two weeks ago, about liver and onions. He sent me a pic last week, moron. And he sent me a pic of him eating a big old plate of liver and onions like that somehow was going to tempt me. I threw up in my mouth when I looked at the pic. I hate liver and onions. You can talk to me all day long about liver and onions. It's a John Brown filter. I ain't eating nothing that filters stuff through the body. I'm just telling you, you do the things you love. And what Jesus is saying to you and I as we wrap all of this up, if you do, don't love something, no command will change that. So here's where we're going to go with this message this morning. Jesus tells the lawyer, remember verse 28, do this and you shall be saved. Ladies and gentlemen, Look at me this morning. I want to jump down to this phrase, Brian. What you are determines what you see, and what you see determines what you do. As we wrap all of this up this morning, let me say that again. I need you to write this down, because this is what I want you praying into your life this week. This is the, we, we're not going to move forward with this sermon series until we get this down. What you are determines what you see, and what you see determines what you do. The whole point that Jesus does next is he tells a story. I've been criticized. Well, I've been criticized for a lot of things over 20 years, but I've been criticized that we had a group that, you know, left the church because Brother Terry tells too many stories, and I just want to be taught the Word of God. And I res- No, I don't. Anyway, and so the truth of the matter is, you need to study the Bible and notice the teaching method of Jesus. Just throwing that out there. Jesus told stories because he didn't want to just give you an intellectual shimmer on your forehead. He wanted it to affect how you lead your family, what kind of husband you are, what kind of wife you are, how do you raise your kids that love Jesus and not just a program. And so what Jesus did is he told stories that would move our hearts and move our lives to be obedient, to fall in love with him. The story, look at me, the story of the Good Samaritan is an illustration to be who you are. And what, when you become who, what God has called you to be, what we are determines what we do. And what we do, I mean what we see, and what we see determines what we do. So God would use this in my life. So here's my sermon illustration story. I'm working on this sermon, and um, Friday morning, you know, it's been a little bit slower because of all this stuff, and I've been staying at home. Belinda won't let me go to the office and stuff, and, and so working in, in, the, in the dining room with all my commentaries and everything, she's been awesome at taking care of me, by the way. You need to pray for her because she's had the worst patient ever. And... Um, 
I'm working on the sermon, and it started at 7 a.m. that morning to finish it. Had all the research done early in the week and wrote a lot of it Thursday. So I'm just trying to finish the sermon out, and my goal is, is to get it to Tanner by noon on, on, Friday, uh, on Fridays. And so uh, I hit about 9 o'clock, 9.30, and all I got to do is finish out, like, you know, the last boom, right here it is, and, and do all this. And the Holy Spirit says, you need a break. And, I, and I'm, you know, I'm driven, so I just was like, and, and he doesn't talk to me audibly, but he just, I could feel the presence of the Lord saying, I need you to step away from this dude. And, uh, and I'm like, uh, heck no. Man, I've got one, I need, I need half a page. And I'm done, man, and, you know, and, and I can get it, you know, to the church and, you know, Tanner and whatever. And so uh, we're going to finish this out. And I was stupid enough, Terry, to tell God, No. And, and look at me, don't judge me, because how many times have God asked you to do something and you said, no, I don't want to do that? God just asked you to go to his house and you struggle to do that. Just saying. And so I said, no, and, uh, and I tried to type, and the Holy Spirit said, son, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And, and I'm thinking in my mind, man, I, I, I've got the perfect sermon illustration I want to close this out with. And the Holy Spirit said, you need a break. And finally, it dawned on me, Gary, he's God, I ain't. So I got up and went outside. But I did it just like you all do. I walked outside huffing and puffing and pouting out the wazoo. I mean, I was mad. I was not happy because, all right, I'm taking a break, but I ain't happy doing it. I'm going to follow you, God, but I'm not going to enjoy it. So I walked out just like you all do on God. I walked out and did what he said, but I wasn't happy about it. And I go to the mailbox. And I'm still just like under my breath. I'm saying it quietly. God don't know what he's doing because I didn't want him to hear. Y'all do the same kind of junk. And I get to the mailbox and I open up the mailbox. And there's a card in the mailbox. And the card was from Kay Whitehead. She's a mature member of our congregation now, her and Dwight, I love them, but I don't even, I mean, I've never been to their house. They don't know, you know, we're, we're not like best buddies or anything like that. But here's what she said to me in the card. She said, Pastor Terry, you always focus on others. And now it's more important for you to focus on yourself. So you can get healthy and get back to what you love, spreading his joy with his spirit, and with his heart. And I'm not going to lie, Miss Kathy, I just started bawling. God got my butt out of that chair so he could send me a message. You can all believe whatever you want. God wanted me to go to that mailbox and to read that message so that he could show me that if I become obedient to him, what I am will begin to change what I see, which will change what I do. And as I took that card, I never sat on our front porch at our house. But I went and sat on our front porch at the house because God told me not to go back in and finish writing the sermon. He wasn't done speaking to me yet. And boy, was he not. And I sit down on that front porch. This is Friday morning. I'm not talking about glory days. I'm talking about now. What's happening this week in my life. In this sermon that God wants you to get because he wants to do the same thing in your life. He wants you to enjoy Jesus. And I sat down in that chair on this whole principle about what you are determines what you see, which determines what you do. And I sat there in that chair, and all of a sudden my phone rang. And it was from somebody that doesn't go to the church, but their family goes to this church. And their family's been going through a nasty divorce. And I mean, just really terrible situation. 
And his family members said, we're trying to understand why you and your church members so loved on our family when they were going through this season that you guys would give them financial gifts and you would just call and check on them and you were there for them. And what we don't understand was, is were they asking for this stuff? And I honestly answered and said, heck no. I said, I didn't even know all the stuff that happened, but I just know this. Because we have connect groups and small group ministries in our church, the Holy Spirit leads them to do stuff that I don't even know about. But it is so cool. And I know God led me to go by there one night and just drop off again. And I'm just telling you, I said, we did this. And this is what I said to this person, don't even go to our church. God just moved in our people's hearts to let them know physically, just like the Good Samaritan, we're not just talking this game, we do this at Connect Church, and we gave them to let them know that God loves them. And you know what her reply was? Oh, wow, that's incredible. That's the way it should be. And I began to weep again because I realized that God was reminding me what you are is what you see. And what you see is what you do when you put him first in your life. But it gets better. My phone rings after that lady hangs up. I'm still on the front porch. I got the card in my hand, blowing snot, and uh, just talked to that lady. And my phone rings, and it says, listen, uh, I got a text. It actually I got a text and said, Jim Rutherford's mom just died. And so I called Jim. And Jim and I are really close friends. And I called Jim and I said, dude, what's going down? And he said, yeah, I said, my mom just didn't see it coming. She, she dropped dead this morning. And he said, we're reeling. And you could hear it in his voice that he was hurting. And I didn't have any magic words to tell Jim. I didn't have any good things to say that were just going to make him feel better. And I just said, Jim, man, I started weeping with him on the phone. And I said, Jim, I love you. And I'm so sorry for this tragedy in your family's life. But Jim, all I know to do right now is I'm going to shut up and just pray. So on my front porch, when I wanted to be finishing a sermon, what you are determines what you see, and what you see determines what you do. I pray this over Jim. And I said, God, what Jim right now needs is you. I said, I'm not praying peace into his life because there's no peace today. His mom had just died. It's nothing but chaos, and it's nothing but pain, and it's nothing but hurt, and it's nothing but sorrow. But Jesus, you walk on water. Jesus, you raise the dead back to life. Jesus, you come into gym right now. You give my brother your peace. You give him you. You give him you. And when the rest of the family comes to gym and they see him during these next 48 hours, may they see nothing but the peace of Jesus lifting Jim up, giving Jim the strength to handle, make decisions, and process all them. May that family testify, I want what Jim has in his heart and in his life. And when I got done praying that over Jim, we were both weeping. And he said, Pastor Terry, thank you. Thank you for reminding me. Jesus is my peace. What you are determines what you see. And what you see when you do it his way is what you do. All the difference in the world. And then he wasn't done with me yet. I'm still on the front chair. By now, I got snot everywhere. And Jesus 
And the Holy Spirit says to me, I never sit on the front porch. I love my back porch. We got a back patio. Love my back patio. Spend almost every day there. I never sit on my front porch. But God put me on the front porch for a reason that day, Friday. He said, I want you to look up now. <laughs> I was like, man, I, my eyes are bloodshot. been crying. And he said, what do you see? Well, first of all, I'm ADD, and, you know, I don't know if you forgot that, but one of my neighbors pulled out in a Mustang, and it was a high-powered Mustang, and I go, that is so cool. I want that car. Anyway, uh, and he said, get back to focus. But the car left really fast, and so I got over that, um, but I still want the car. And he said, I want you to look at those pine trees. I'd never looked at the pine trees across a little pond in our neighborhood. And I just had a moment, Chris, where I'd never seen my neighborhood like that before. And God just said to me, I want you to look at your front yard. It just got mowed last night by a church member who knows his preacher is a cripple and came and mowed his yard for him because he would be too stupid to get on there himself and Belen would kill him. And so she saved my life. I mean, he saved my life. And he said, you got people that love you in that church. It's a small house in a small little neighborhood in Morville, Mississippi. And Blynn and I have never been more happy. We love our house. We love our neighborhood. I am blessed beyond measure to live and have what I have in my life. And the Holy Spirit's just pouring that into my life. And look at the country scene that you get to see. I made all this. I gave you all of this. Look how blessed you are. You see, what you are determines what you see. And what you see determines what you do. Some of you are miserable and unhappy because you can't and you're not following Jesus. You keep thinking if you can fix the do, if you could just be happy, if you could just get this. It doesn't work that way. What you have to do is become who Jesus made you to be. You have to see who you are in him. And then he changes everything. And it's better. It's better than I could ever dream. And then, finally, on the front porch, Friday morning, I did what he told me to do. I quit writing my sermon. And he said, I want you to now look at your neighborhood. And from my front porch, I can see every house practically in my neighborhood. And he said, I want you to go tell them about what I've given you. And I want you to fall in love with your neighbors and lead them to Christ. And that is exactly what God said. I'm going to teach Connect Church how to do in the next three weeks. We're going to teach you how to love your neighbor. He said, that's the end of your sermon. Now you go tell my, your good Samaritan story. Guys, you want to know how to enjoy on earth as it is in heaven? Then you become who God wants you to be. And when you are who he wants you to be, you're going to begin to see what he sees. And when you see what he sees, then you're going to do the right thing. Shall we stand? <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message and this service today. We thank you, Father, for speaking into our hearts and into our lives, afresh and anew, what it means to really begin to see on earth as it is in heaven, because we learn to live in the daily with your presence in our life. If there's one here this morning that doesn't know Jesus as your Savior, 
I'm going to ask you to just pray this prayer with me right now. Oh, dear God, for whatever reason, I'm like the lawyer. I've been arrogant and full of myself. I decided that I knew all about religion. I knew I even had the law plastered to my forehead. I'm such an idiot. God, the only way that I can be saved is to confess my sins, to confess that I cannot do anything to earn your salvation. God, I am a sinner who desperately needs to be saved by your death on the cross, your burial and resurrection. And if you just prayed that prayer and asked Jesus into your heart and your life, I'm going to invite you to come forward this morning and to make a public profession of that faith and let our counselors meet with you and share with you how to confirm that decision. And now, church, let me talk to you this morning and those of you that are listening online. Don't go back to your TV show. Don't go watch the get ready to go eat. You need to listen to the rest of this. And this is how we really begin to let Jesus change us. Because you see, what we are determines what we see. And then when we see Jesus in us, it's going to change what we do. And it's not just for me, it's for you. And this morning, some of you have gotten off track. You need a new beginning. Some of you are deep in a hole. Some of you are just maybe just need to be refreshed. But Jesus has brought you here today to repent and say today, Jesus, I'm going to become obedient. I'm going to sit on the front porch of my life and I'm going to become who you want me to become. I'm going to get back into your word. I'm going to get back into prayer. I'm going to get my butt back in church. God, I'm going to become the person you want me to be so that I can begin to see the opportunities around me in my life. And God, I want to live a different life. If you need to make that decision this morning, would you come as Tanner leads us? Thank you for listening to the Sermon Playback Podcast from Connect Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Connect Church has two worship services on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 1030. We sincerely hope you'll visit. For more information and details, or if you have any questions you'd like to answer, please visit our website at www.triconnect.church. Again, that's www.triconnect.church.